Well, good morning. It's good to see you all out this morning. Those that are joining us online, we welcome you. Children, fifth grade and under, if you'd make your way downstairs, or you can now, make your way down for your time in Clubhouse. They've got a great lesson for you down there and lots of activities uh, that you're going to enjoy. The rest of us need to grab our Bibles or our phones and turn to the book of Romans. Now, Romans is in the New Testament. Uh, we were in Luke last week, and Luke is followed by Acts, and then after Acts, or excuse me, Luke's followed by John, and then after John, you'll find the book of Acts, and then Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be in verse 35. Uh, this morning, it's great to have Brenda Biggs back with us. I sent out an email on Thursday. Brenda had a medication that contradicted uh, the blood thinners that she's already on, and her blood went from a 2.5 viscosity, like oil, and it went from that to over a 10. It was off the scale on reading, and she wouldn't have known it except that she developed a sore on her foot, and she thanked the Lord for that because she went to the doctor, was immediately placed in the hospital, and she's been uh, pining away to get out. So it's good to have Brenda in our Sunday morning service. Usually she's Saturday night. <clears throat> I also ask if you wouldn't mind to keep my wife Sarah in your prayers today. I sent out a little message yesterday. Her grandfather, 94, uh, he and his wife, her grandmother, have been living independently uh, all of these years in French Lick. And uh, last week he fell and was hospitalized and he passed away yesterday morning about 2.30. And then last night we got the call that her grandmother, who's 90, uh, began having seizures and she is within hours of death. Uh, now and so Sarah is over there with her mother and with her sisters and um, you know they've had a great great life uh, and as the Lord would see it they're going to get to go home together and so services will be later this week in French Lick but I appreciate your uh, love for my family especially for my wife and I just ask that you would you'd do that for her well those of you that are joining us uh, online and, and, and certainly those of you that this is your first or second time at Memphis, you are here for the second week of this new series that's going to take us all the way through Easter and that series is entitled Evidence and what we're looking at is not the archaeological evidence although there is plenty of that that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God that God exists and created all of us and that Christ was at his side when that was done but what we're looking at is the evidence of what the world needs now more than anything, and that is the uncaused, unreasonable, and unlimited love of God. Now, last week, we looked at the evidence of this through a woman who came to Jesus' feet. She had a reputation in town. She heard that Jesus was in the house of a religious person, and so she went there, and she ended up weeping at his feet, and it was there that she encountered God's Love in Luke chapter 7. Well, this week in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul asks a rhetorical question and he gives us the answer. He asked, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who will separate us from this unlimited, unreasonable, uncaused love that by this point? Thousands upon thousands of people had encountered, hundreds of them firsthand. Now, there are those moments, there are those moments in every one of our lives when we have felt separated from love. 
Think about the love of friends. There are seasons when friendships grow and, and are, are very vibrant and we spend time together. We communicate through social media or by text or, or we hang out. We, we come to church together and those are exciting seasons in our friendships. But then there are those times when life situations, when distance seems to separate us for a season or two. Uh, think about the love of marriage. When two people are attracted in that romantic stage, it soon seems that our vows are written in vanishing ink. At first, the connection is so bold and, and passionate and clear, but with time, that love seems to fade. Look at the relationship between parents and children, the amount of love invested when they're so little and the, the care as you care for them who are unable to care for themselves and then they move into the teenage years. And if we're not careful, that very sincere relationship can become irreconcilable. Even in the best of situations, we are assured that death will eventually come and will separate us from those who love us. But what about the love of God? What about the love of God? Can these same realities separate us from his love? Well, Paul goes on to address this. He says, shall trouble or hardship, will persecution or famine or nakedness, now I've never known nakedness to separate us from love. But he's not talking about that kind of nakedness. Nakedness or danger or sword. So what about it? What about hardship and trouble? Have you let times of trouble and hardship pull you away from his love? Keep you from the gathering because you feel that you've been slighted in some way? What about danger? Have you ever just panicked and, and, and put the blame on others for your situation when you know it's it's really you that took the risk. What about nakedness? When who you are or who you were without Christ. What about when that comes to the surface and people see the real you, the broken you? How does God's love stand up against those times? Well, Paul can tell us because he's been there. He's experienced these things, and so he goes on in verse 36, and he says, here's the evidence. He says, for your sake, we face death all day long. He's talking about his life and following Christ. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. What's he saying? He's saying we have put it all out there. We've taken risks. We have pushed God's love to the limits. And then he says to us, no, in all these things... God's love brought us through. In all these things, we were never separated from his love. And then he gets specific when he says, I'm convinced. And I want you to think between now and 20 minutes from now, I want you to think about what it is that it's going to take to convince you that nothing can separate you from God's love. Because the apostle Paul said, neither death nor life can separate you Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. Now, those of you that have been around as long as I have, you might remember that before super glue or before Gorilla Glue, there was super glue, right? Super glue was much better than Gorilla Glue. Some of you are proof to it. You've had your fingers stuck together like I have for 50 years. You can't get the stuff off. But you remember the commercial? Remember the commercial, the guy with the hard hat on with the chin strap? And they put just one little dab of super glue on that and they connect that hard hat to a piece of steel or to a steel cable and he's suspended there in midair. They later came out with a car the same way, just one little dab of glue, hold the car in the air. Why is that there? It's to demonstrate the durability of that glue. Well, Paul, Paul emphatically asserts twice in this little passage that nothing can separate us from the glue, from the love of God found in Christ. And he begins by making this point that God's love for us doesn't depend on how well we love him back. God's love for us doesn't depend on how well we love him back. Now, over the years, many illustrations that I have heard anyway, look at God's love as a mountain, as a mountain with a rope on the side of it. And, and some of you I know are skiers. I don't know if we have any mountain climbers in here. We really don't live in an area like that unless you think the knobs are mountains. <laughs> but if you think about a mountain climber, what are they dependent on? They are dependent upon the rope the rope that is anchored someplace higher than they are to the place that they want to reach, and in this case, God. And so you have this rope. You have this rope that's your lifeline. And so you hold on for dear life. And you believe that as long as you hold on to that rope, what? Everything's going to be okay. But what happens when you let go of it? What happens when you let go up and, and that doesn't hold up? Because there are times when we grow tired. There are times when we grow tired and our hands ache and we have to let loose for a while. Sometimes we're just unable to hold on because of a fleeting thought of fear or the sheer weight of the baggage of our past. You see where I'm going. And this is where Paul takes us. Notice Paul doesn't say anything about me holding on to the rope. But he says everything about God's rope of love holding on to me, being wrapped around me, even when I'm not clutching it. You see, just like the mountain climber who secures the rope to his waist, to his body, there are times when he needs to let go. There are times when he lets go to, to take a rest and just sit in the cradle of that rope knowing that he has much farther to go in this journey. There are times when he needs to have his right or his left hand free with the pick in his hand to be able to strike the next point and to pull himself over so that he can set the next anchor point in his life. There are times when he, he drops a little bit and, and he bumps his head and he, he passes out. And yet that rope is there to hold him. Paul is saying that God's love is wrapped around us and that love is reinforced by his promises that hold us perfectly and permanently. We may slip and fall. We may have to let go for a little bit, but we aren't lost. 
As Paul wrote to young Timothy, he says, if we're faithless, God remains faithful. Why? Because he can't deny himself. Nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. Now, the Apostle Paul, writing from the inspiring Holy Spirit, the inside of the Holy Spirit, he understands that there are going to be times when we question the durability of God's love. And so what he does is he goes to great lengths to give us the evidence through five pairs of contrasting forces. It's as if he gives us the A to Z, if you're looking at the alphabet, the A to Z, full range of the scope of God's love and the things in our life that seem to challenge it. And he begins with what we would see as the most formidable of them all, and that is our greatest enemy, death. Verse 38, he begins with death. Death cannot separate us from the love of God. Now, we can imagine no greater wall, no greater obstacle of separation than death. To lose a loved one is to face the fact that while we're here, at least, we will not see that person again. We will not be able to smell their scent. We won't be able to stroke their hair. We won't be able to hold their hand. We won't be able to call them on the phone like we're used to every day, hear the sound of their voice. Death separates us from everything familiar. Now, Paul knew this reality. He too loved many people in this world and he didn't want to leave any of them. He once said to die would be gain, but I know that I need to stay for you, for the people that he loved. But he had seen the executioner's sword. He had seen the stoning of believers like Stephen. He had felt the pain of imprisonment, shipwrecks, intense hunger, the impending death. He knew that death was real. But Paul was also convinced of this, that outside of Jerusalem, there was a tomb that was empty because Jesus Christ had risen from the dead as evidence to the fact he cried out triumphantly, Paul did. He said, oh, death, where is your victory? He says, oh, hell, oh, sin, where is your sting? The writer of Hebrews summarizes it this way. Death is not a wall that separates us from God. Death is not a wall that separates us from God. Instead, death ushers the believer into the presence of God. And this is probably a good time for me to pause. This passage, this question was directed to believers. And this evidence is directed to those who will surrender their life or who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't end here. He continues. Here's death, and it can't separate us, but he says, nor can life separate us. The life that comes with harder to deal with than death circumstances. <laughs> you know those. You're familiar with them. The loss of a, a child is much greater than your own death. The deep grief and despair that some experience, depression, serious physical challenges. I want you to think of the worst thing. I want you to think of the worst thing on this earth. 
that could happen in life. And if that event occurs, I want you to be honest with yourself. Would you still love God? Would you still love him? Will you still believe that he's in control and that he loves you? But I want you to think about the flip side. He says that the challenges of life can't separate us, but neither can the great side of life, right? When life is good, when relationships are flourishing, when the income is flowing, when the job is enjoyable and fulfilling, when the kids are healthy and involved in every every opportunity available, what about then? Can that separate us from his love? Yet God's love is still wrapped around us, holding us tight with his promises, waiting for us, waiting for us with that free hand to strike our next move. There are so many in this room that have experienced the hardship of life, who've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, when evil's doing its best to separate us from God. But there are many of us who have also left his blessing, who have left his blessing when we've let our own confidence separate us from him. But either way, I want you to know that he is holding you tight. Next, Paul takes us to the intrusion of demons and the intervention of angels or any other power. Now on this earth, you need to understand that we deal with not only physical forces, but spiritual forces, powerful forces. Now we have nature and we have government and we have accidents and we have other people who can at times be his enemies, but there's a greater enemy at war for your soul. He's called the devil, the evil one, the destroyer. He wants to separate you from God's love and therefore control your eternal destiny. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, this is who we are at war with. He says, we don't wrestle simply against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly Places You see, just as God exists, evil and demonic forces exist that are at work to dismantle our relationship with God. Now, these forces are clearly seen in several ways. I submit to you that these forces are seen in sex trafficking today. It should be very obvious to you. And if you don't realize what's going on around you, even right here in southern Indiana... These are forces of evil at work that have blinded the eyes of young men and women and old men who are depraved, who seek to devour. I want you to think about the abortions that go on and the doctors and the politicians who support such things. That's evil. These are spiritual forces. Now, I'm not saying because you've had an abortion that you are evil or that you are demon-possessed, I know that you're very much broken as time has separated you from that moment. But those people who convinced you, they are very much hate groups today, drug addiction, 
But these forces are also very much at work in the many things that we label as good. The things that pull us away from our dependence on God. Someone said, fighting off these dark forces of evil is like fending off a nuclear missile with a BB gun. I need it. Does anybody have a BB gun? I've got a cat that keeps jumping on the dog every time we let it go out the back. I need a BB gun for that. You ought to see Sarah. The first thing she does is open the door and throws a rock out the cat. And then we try to get the dog to go out and pee real quick before the cat jumps on the dog. But anyway, somebody said fighting these, these evil forces, fighting off these dark forces of evil are like fending off a nuclear missile with a BB gun. But I don't agree. I don't agree unless you're fighting against these forces alone. Here, Paul's reminding us that from the archangel Gabriel to the archdemon Satan and the full range of forces in between, there's no power sufficient to break the hold of God's love on his children. There's no power. Paul wrote of Christ's atoning death and resurrection, and he said, Jesus Christ disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus Christ, Peter writes, who has gone into heaven is in God's right hand with angels, authorities, and power in submission to him. That's why the devil has to flee when we stand against him, when we resist him in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, James 4, 7. In spite of his formidable, even seen as nuclear-sized powers, Satan is helpless. He's helpless in the shadow of God's love. But we have to be rare because these forces are real. Paul continues in presenting the evidence of God's love and the inseparability of it when he says, not the cares of today or the concerns of tomorrow, neither the present nor the future. How many warriors do we have in the room besides me, right? How many of us look all the way out past tomorrow in order to see how things are gonna happen and how they're gonna resolve? And if we can see a solution to it, we're okay. But until we can see that solution, we are at least spending the majority of our mental power thinking about these things. And here, Paul says, neither the present situation nor any future situation, concerns of tomorrow, can separate us from God's love. I want you to think about throughout the history of our entire fallen world of the different current and future events that we have worried about. In World War II, we still have a few of you left. I was thinking about Sarah's grandfather today who lived during that time and served our country during that time. And the uncertainty of those times, fear of what was to come. I think about the, towards the resolution of that war and the takeoff of our commercialism, our, our industrial revolution that took place that, that threatened and has changed our families forever the ups and downs of our economy energy dependence i mean how many times are we going to hear over the next 20 years like we have the last 20 that our world's going to melt down in the next 12 weeks or that there's not going to be gas or oil politics 
nuclear weapons. I remember in the 80s being a student and we had to know where the fallout shelter was at the school or closest to us in town. If you watch these shows on abandoned sites all around the world, these cavernous underground places where thousands of people could go during that time to hide out, terrorist attacks, pandemics, gang and thug violence, government rulings that keep pushing Christians further back in the corner until we're going to have to make the decision as to whether we stand publicly and break the law or comply. I was reminded of a man named George Matheson. He was a student of theology. He fell in love while he was in college like many do. He fell in love. He was engaged to be married. But by the time he was 20, his eyesight had degenerated so quickly that he was blind before he could get married. The woman that he fell in love with came to him, broke off the engagement, devastated him. She said, I'm just not equipped to be married to a blind man. He went on to graduate and he never, he never, re, or he never was married. Now some would, would have shaken their fist at God I've devoted my life to the study of you, God. I've devoted my life to, to the future preaching of your word. How could you do this to me? Yet George Matheson knew better. Even though his fiance left him, he knew that God and God's love wouldn't. And out of his pain emerged the classic hymn, Oh, love that will not let me go. Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Neither height nor depth, friends, suffering is inevitable. Just because you are tied on to the rope of God's love does not mean that you are immune to suffering. In fact, I submit to you that you will suffer all the more. That's why during baby dedication, we pray for our children. That's why preachers' kids... We should have your prayers every day because they're going to be hit the hardest because if they can get to our family, they can get to us. Suffering's inevitable. It comes to everyone, but only those who live in the certainty that God's love will never let them go. Only those who are wrapped securely in the rope of his love are able to accept with confidence the challenges of the present and future troubles. I'm reminded of the words of Isaiah. He speaks of God and his love when he says, he gives strength to the weary, God does. He increases the power of the weak. Even young people grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the love of the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on eagles' wings. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. In verse 39, Paul continues, neither height nor depth. He's saying in the high points of life and in the low points of life that affect our awareness of God's love, we can't be separated. Now, some reach the height of self-sufficiency that could easily drive out all thoughts of one's need for God. And we see this all 
We see this all the time. Things go well and our presence in church declines. Our presence in church declines and eventually our relationship with God follows. And then comes the lows, the depths, when we've realized that what we placed our confidence in is stripped away. The lows of despair, a a successful athlete, right, sustains an injury and he's no longer able to go out on the field. Medical bills that bankrupt us, diagnosis of disease that isolates us. We looked last week at the evidence in Psalm 139 that there is no place that we can go where we are separated from God's love and his watchful care over us. Do you remember that? As former heavyweight champion Joe Lewis said, we can run, but we can't hide. God has every inch of the universe covered. His love, his love is deeper and wider than all dimensions of creation. And then Paul ends his list as any man would. Right? You're ever talking to a guy about something and, and they've described everything to you and then they, they make that lump it all in one statement, right? And, and everything else, right? We just kind of lump it all in there and that's what Paul does. He says, nor anything else in all creation. And what he's doing here with this is he's closing, he's closing the idea that there is a loophole to God's love. <laughs> there's loopholes everywhere, right? But he says there's not one when it comes to God's love, it's all inclusive. And so he's giving us this nugget to hold on to when he says, stop racking your mind trying to uncover some obstacle that could block God's love. (laughs) We've all done that, haven't we? (laughs) We've looked at our situation and said, surely, surely this has separated me from his love. When we come to that realization that we have, we've wasted decades of our life and we say surely surely his love is gone from me we have people who give their lives to the lord at a young age but but they aren't discipled and they aren't encouraged and they've been away from the church for months or years and and they come back and they say should i be rebaptized?" and my response most often is if you feel that's necessary fine but let me tell you something about god God always keeps his promise. You may not have kept yours. And you may not have understood what was needed and expected from you. You may not have engaged him. But my friend, he, he says, you believe in me, you'll be saved. There's nothing in all his creation that can separate us from the love of Christ, our Lord. Now, there is certainty in Paul's voice when he says this. And he has given us, he has given us an explanation in a very broad sense of all the things that could separate us. And says that it can't. And so I ask you, I ask you, maybe in your pain or disappointment, you've torn yourself away from his arms. I need you to know that even then, even then his rope secures you. Maybe you're angry about your situation. Anger is a natural response to death and to disease and to hardship and trial. Maybe in your pain or disappointment, 
in your anger about your situation, you wonder about God's love. God's love continues despite the walls that you are trying to put up. Maybe the reality is you've never really recognized his love for you. You've been holding on to your own rope. See, there's a lot of other ropes out there. And those ropes, every one of them, if you let go, you're gone. You're gone. But not so with God's love. Because it's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon him and his character. And it is secure. So how was Paul so convinced in verse 35 that nothing could separate him from God's love? How did he uncover the evidence that we've looked at today? By anchoring his life to it. (laughs) By choosing to be wrapped up, not in his own rope, but in the rope of God's love, where he could let go and live the life that God had created for him, confident that God was with him. Confident that God was holding him up. Confident that God was bringing him through any shipwreck or any storm of his life. But he also recognized something about this rope and the durability of the promises that hold it together. But he recognized that while this rope of God's love was securely attached to him, that it was also attached to others around him. Isn't that cool? This rope is wrapped around me as a follower of Christ. And there's quite a bit of length. And then just like mountain climbers, very few of them go it alone, right? They usually have a team with them. And that rope's wrapped around the next person and the person after that. And what happens? What happens if someone up the rope loses their footing? What happens if uh, they get a, 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 a muscle stricture and, and they can't hold themselves up and they fall back on that love? What happens to you who's also tied up in that love? Well, you feel the tug of the rope a little bit, don't you? It, it, it makes you recognize that somebody else in the line is, is challenged. Brandon showed you a picture. It's just but one example this week of the way that we have seen how God's love is wrapped around so many in this church family that when someone hurts or, or when someone it's time to, to place their loved one who's, who's shared, who, who has served our country, when it's time to put their cremains in the box and you feel that tug on the rope of a Pam who is mourning that others come alongside. That's God's Love. So how was Paul so convinced that nothing? He, he made sure that he was wrapped tight in God's love. And not only was he wrapped, but others were wrapped around him. And I suppose that's God's invitation for us today. Is for us to, number one, decide which rope we're going to be wrapped to. And which rope we're going to hold on to. And some of you are holding on to a rope that if you let go, you're gone. It may look good. It may feel good. You may see others who have used that rope in the past. But you let go and you're gone. God's love is different than that. You let go. You're free to live. You're free to choose. You're free to take that arm and that pick and set your next point. And pull yourself to that as you grow in your faith. 
because his rope is wrapped around you. Yes, there are times when the past creeps up on you and you give in again and you fall back, but his rope catches you and holds you there, lets you recover, and then you go on. Maybe you've been secured in that rope for a while, but you've not been connected with others that are in that same rope. Well, that invitation is here for you today as well. To come and to be wrapped up in that rope through your membership, through your commitment to others that are climbing the same direction that you are. You've seen the evidence. Now it's time for you to respond. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, thank you for today. And thank you for your love, Father, and the evidence of your love through those that have gone before us, like the Apostle Paul, who faced all kinds of uncertainties, all kinds of hardships in life. But because he surrendered his life to you and felt your love around him, he knew for a fact because he, he allowed that rope to sustain him through some of the most difficult things that we can face, the death of friends and those that we love, the times, Father, when persecution or hardship comes, when we feel like we're in the desert alone or shipwrecked on an island, when we've received a diagnosis or felt the pain in life of the loss of someone that we love dearly, to know that he was still anchored, Father, gives us courage that we can know the same thing. And so today, Father, as we come to this time, may we know firsthand by our surrender to you of your great love. Lord, you know I want this for everyone here and those that are listening and that will listen in the days ahead. I want it because I've seen it. I want it for them. Lord, I know you do too. You gave so much for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll meet you right where you're at this morning. You can step out in the aisle or on the side. You can come to the front and Brandon will receive you. But I've got the rope. I'll bring it with me.